Hello and welcome back to Ultra Rare, the podcast, the show where we cover the evolution of the decentralized science movement and explore ideas for how blockchain technology can advance scientific progress and research. I'm your host, Jocelyn Pearl. And today's episode, I welcome two leaders from two different worlds. They're keeping their eye on DSI, and they've been involved in organizing events at recent conferences such as ETH Amsterdam and ETH Denver. They're excited by what's happening in this space, and I thought they would be great guests to weigh in on what they're thinking as far as the evolution of DSI. Allison Dutman is the CEO of Foresight Institute, a nonprofit that benefits the development of high-impact technologies. It was founded back in 1987 and continues to pave the way for new work in science and technology. We're also joined today by Ella Made, founding partner of 50 Years, a venture capital firm focused on deep tech and Web3, among other areas, and a mission statement of wanting, wanting to use capital as a force for good. So my question to our guest today is, how do these two worlds support the growing DSI movement? And how are they thinking about what is happening in this space? And what are their hopes and fears for the future? If you've been enjoying our content so far, please click subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Great. So today I'm welcoming two of the leaders in the decentralized science movement. They come from very different backgrounds and they lead very different organizations. But I'm excited to learn about how each of them is thinking about decentralized science and how nonprofits and VC firms play a role in this new movement. So welcome, Allison and Ella. Hello, hello. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much for taking the time. So to start off, I want to start with Allison. Um, if you could give us a brief background on your journey to Foresight Institute and what the mission and ethos of this organization is. Uh, yeah, thanks. They're kind of, uh, they're, they're quite different, the two questions, but I think from a personal end, since I can remember, I have always loved life deeply. I thought it was um, incredibly sad that it has to end sometime. I think as you grow older, you realize it's kind of a puberty wish of wanting civilization not to end. Because when you're younger, let's face it, you think that no matter what happens to you, civilization would just continue, right? It's pretty difficult to imagine that that won't be the case. Um, and so I think over time I got from like personal longevity considerations that were really quite early on to more of civilizational scale longevity types of considerations questions. And then I did philosophy of science and technology at the London School of Economics. And it was Popper who founded my uh, uh, the, the department there. Uh, and for that, so that I got very quickly into more of the uh, more long-term uh, technology bent. And through that, I discovered Foresight Institute as I was browsing uh, through different options of what to get involved in. And I think what really inspired me about the organization is that it existed for 35, no, 38 years at this point. It's crazy, 38 years. Um, and... And I really liked that it had both like a pretty positive, optimistic outlook onto the long-term future without being too Pollyannish. So I think what's interesting about this nonprofit is that it existed really for quite some time. It was founded by Eric Drexler and Christine Peterson on the book Engines of Creation, which lays out a future of really high advanced molecular nanotechnology, but also touches 38 years ago, mind you, on AI, on like various different Xanadu hypertext um, projects, various things that we now see in crypto, and I hope we can discuss that a bit more. But I think what 
you know, what really drove me to this community is that even back then, when the technologies were still much more nascent, people had a deeply optimistic view about the future and had kind of the risk prevention always a part of that. And so I thought that was super inspiring. I read a bunch up in our archives and then eventually I applied, made my way there, started as a volunteer um, and then researcher, program director. And so now since maybe yeah, a little over a year, so I'm leading the org, but it's really much community organized because I think what makes FOSSA quite unique is that we have a very long-term community of people that care very deeply. So it's really more like I'm, I'm trying to give a space for them. But yeah, I'm happy to talk a bit more about FOSSA does later, but maybe that's just my uh, bit of, of how I came to it. Excellent. And Ella, if you could give us just a brief background on yourself and what led you to founding 50 Years. Yeah, uh, thanks. Um I I'm originally from Poland, uh, from Krakow. Uh, grew up here and uh, happened to be born in uh, into a family of computer scientists. Both my, both of my parents are computer scientists. Now my sister she's also a great computer scientist. But I um, was always into physics, and I thought I would you know I was competing in physics uh, contests and Olympiads as a teenager, and then realized I think I read the Oppenheimer's um, some, an essay talking about the invention of the atomic bomb and like how really it's the politicians who controlled, uh, you know, what really happens with, with the deployment of, 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 of science. And I remember just changing though this whole idea of what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, um, and I, I ended up, I went to study uh, economics and political science. I thought like, this is, this is what makes the world go around. And the two outcomes of that one was that I, um, really quickly realized that I, I I don't have the patience for like debating opinions that I like always you know in physics there was this comfort of like there's there's a solution there and like we can we can get to some ground truth but I had a lot of time so when I was uh, um, 20 21 years I started a software company and it was very early in the early days of the open source um, framework of, of Ruby on Rails and I ended up you know we ended up me, my co-founders and I starting this this company that became uh, at some point the largest rails development shop in in Europe uh, to to my knowing at some point uh, and, and that was the case and then we and we were organizing really large events for software developers in the in the open source Ruby and rails communities and it was this entire amazing energy of of people thinking like you know we can build open source software and you know there's just so much to build and I think it was just the most incredible time and that that led me to starting another company which 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 got acquired by Zendesk and and got financially quite successful that also led me to this <laughs> a failed Y Combinator uh, startup we were the first company to to get into Y Combinator from 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 Eastern Europe and it was this idea of predictive which right now it's a very very cool uh, it, there, there could be a really cool re-implementation of that with web3 essentially like decentralized um, and uh, credibility uh, and and um, and and sort of apply and and, and building a, a very transparent and decentralized network of, of reputation on on the web. Uh, it was too early in 2012, but um, you know, long story short, I don't want to jump into all the all the <laughs> all the. I'm almost I'm a one year uh, younger than Foresight Institute, so <laughs> the story is quite long. Um, but uh, long story short, I I joined another venture firm as a partner. And we were mostly focused on, on B2B SaaS. And I think after a year, I realized that I really loved working with early stage um, startups and with founders. And I see myself as a mentor and I really just love working with people. However, I was pretty 
burnt out when it comes to like what you know like all, what like what my story was sort of becoming and like I think I was I think I started questioning like you know it's like I'm not really doing it all for money and like it does seem to me that like cer certain businesses are just like you know even if they're tech-based they, they're 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 just purely there for the money so I think um, long story short, through that exploration, um, uh, I started chatting with Seth, who was, was my uh, partner, and we met at Y Combinator, um, and we, you know, he was a social entrepreneur, and he was sort of more on this, like, uh, uh, social impact path already, and we started chatting, like, what if we could just run an organization that can back some of the most, you know, needed technology? that are you know and and that like fully utilize the potential for like you know what we that then like like thought of a silicon valley of uh you know the 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 scale that is possible through that and and that's what led to 50 years um and 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 the name comes after uh winston churchill's essay which is also extremely long 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 term long long terminist uh he published it in 1931 and he talks about you know uh, um uh, all sorts of technologies that will be possible in the future within the, the 50 years and talks about synthetic biology talks about uh, cell-based meat talks about you know genetic engineering of humans right be even before we understood what genes were and then in the second part of the essay he talks about the social responsibility of everyone who who is working on te in technology and on science to really build the world that is better for everyone so um, it was this call to arms and especially about, you know, taking the moral, moral, moral um, um, and principled stance um, towards technology development. So, yeah, and we, we've backed 100 companies, approximately 100 companies since then, and, and it's been a great, um, great journey. Amazing. I, I find that there's some really interesting parallels here between 50 years and Foresight Institute. I hope we mm. can get into some of that. And I also have been reading about the open source software communities and how, how much that space has inspired the decentralized science communities that are forming and how they're run and operated. Um, so I, I'm sure you have some interesting insights to share there as well. Um, so to root us back in, in the goal of the Ultra Rare podcast, which is to explore decentralized science and how different ideas are shaping this movement. Um, Allison, would you mind sharing your definition of web three and also decentralized science yeah um i mean i should preface this with saying which is what i usually do what i do like scientific salons or so with that i'm not working actively in the space i'm not uh, in an engineer in the space so take everything with what i'm saying with a grain of salt um but i think for me you know the d size space at least is something that is a little bit larger than web three and the sense that Web3 is like a really great tool for that. Uh, and it's one of potentially many. But, you know, I already, I think, mentioned Popper, but um, he had this really great idea and, and of an analogy of science to the way that evolution and biology works. And so, you know, he really thinks that science, just that biology evolves by this process of variation, replication and selection. And, you know, especially with variation of knowledge um, being like really this process of like tossing new ideas out there, right? And then replication of knowledge is really the process of like spreading ideas through conversation. And then selection of knowledge would be the discrediting of uh, ideas through criticism. And I think those are like three really fundamental principles of science. I'm not sure in how much they are actively, you know, always pending in the current institutions that we have. So I think for me, like what's so interesting about DSI as a space and with Web3 being one tooling is that we can go back to that 
um, and we can go mm -hmm. back to these at least like philosophical roots uh, of this way that science is done. I think that, you know, in particular, when we look at a few of the kind of concepts and a few of the topic areas that Fawcett really is working on is then we have these bu technology buckets that we care a lot about. And one of them is molecular nanotechnology, one of them is longevity and rejuvenation, one of them is newer technology, one of them is space. And we usually try to support people working in these areas through fellowships, prizes, and so forth. But I think now we always had this one bucket that was called intelligent cooperation, and that was like the computing mm -hmm. bucket. And now that bucket is kind of becoming the meta bucket that is reinventing all of the other buckets. And I think mm -hmm. that is so deeply inspirational in the sense that finally all of those ideas that of like how in an ideal case you would want to do scientific discovery are now becoming available and so this one of our technology buckets is kind of like becoming this meta layer that mm. is driving uh, all the other bits and i think that's really rewarding and inspiring because i know many people in the foster community have cared about this for a long long time um there was an overlap with the extropian community and so forth uh, a lot with example and, and, and a few other people that were really early in the space and finally like these people can get to work and we can do things the way that uh, i think uh, we would like to do them um, and and i think that's it's kind of wonderful to see just um like a sweep of almost like a you know multiplying factor uh, of other technological progress kind of sweeping mm. in so i think that's a meta layer of, uh, of mm. saying why we're excited about the space I love that perspective, Alison. And it's like, so the way you, when you were saying that, I was like, oh my God, it's like so different that you're thinking about it. I think I think about it in a much more crude way. Uh, I think I, I'm used to just like, you know, get going into a space, like seeing like what's missing or like seeing what needs to be built. I think like my personal bias, you know, my love language is action. So I'm just like, you know, let's, let's like, like, how can we like immediately turn, turn something into, um, how can we make something out of nothing immediately? For me, it's like, so So I, I look at the, I already, like when, when you were giving your definition, I was thinking like, oh my God, like this, the bias is there. For, because for me, Web3 is a set of tools and technologies and essentially that, that are enabling a like slightly different shift in this system. And, you know, mostly when it comes to the, you know, the, the, the global internet that, you know, enables to be, you know, more transparent, decentralized, enables the shared ownership and the community component, the trustlessness, even though I don't, I don't like that term, but, but, but because I think it gets confused with, um, um, it, it, yeah, like, I think it gets confused, but the, so for, and for me, DSI, and because I come to this with my bias of, you know, mostly, mostly not even, you know, mostly sort of commercially applicable research, I, I again look at it a little bit more in this, um, which I think is more narrow, Alison, than what you described to be, but, but when I think about but when I think about it, I, I, I look at, you know, how can we change the system? Like how, like what practical implication this is going to have for the people who are like in academia now and people who are trying to like spin something out, whether or people who are trying to get funding for something, even if it's basic research when there's no commercial incentives. And how do we, so for me, it's again, like I, I see it in, in my mind, it's like, the, it's a map of tools that enable, uh, you know, easier funding, more collaboration, you know, community ownership, um, transparency, ver verifiability, and, 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 and mass processing of, of, you know, data and metadata. So, and, and, and for me, this is like, and, 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 and at the, and in, 
and I always see it with, you know, like, how can we make science less frustrating? How can we make everything like happen faster? How can we like make sure we don't have people who are doing important work like burn out or like spend most of their time on things that are like nonsensical, right? So, and for me, so this is the promise that I see there. And it's like, it's kind of very pragmatic because um, this, you know, for, 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 it just happens to be my, my, my bias for better or for worse. That, that makes me think of another way to frame the question, perhaps, mm. which is, is there something broken about how we've been doing science up to this mm. point? And is there something about Web3 that's going to allow us to fix aspects of a broken system? Mm. Yeah, I mean, what, if, if either this is this is my time it. for a disclaimer. This is the disclaimer. I have been on the promising path, but not a scientist so you know i see i i see and i hear uh you know through many of the phd sort of uh, holding founders that we back and i and then through the people who are trying to spin out and through my friends who are doing basic research like i i and, and i read about the, the frustrations again this doesn't come from first-hand experience but obviously you know the whole model of publishing right now the reproducibility crisis the fact that uh, you know, some there's there's people doing in, in many areas of of sort of, of human knowledge, like doing like the the type of work that's incredibly important for humanity, um, and yet there's no uh, there's no way for the society currently there's no way they can they can. Um, um, you know, they will be making much more money going to, going to, you know, the Facebooks of the world and, and trying to optimize, you know, a, a fraction of a cent for an ad impression. And, you know, so, so, um, which, which is tragic, right? So I think the incentive, the lack of transparency, the fact that like science is often funded with, with public, you know, taxpayer money, and then, um, it's not necessarily distributed, uh, back to the public in, 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 um, in, in, uh, in, in that way that it's, it's, it's also hard, um, to spin out, uh, in, in terms of commercial research, um, from academia, which is something that we're working on at 50 years. There's a big internal project that we have that's, not even sort of it's sort of tangential to to, to DSI and Web three, but it, it is a big problem in science, which I actually think the DSI movement may, may hopefully is able to uh, to take a, a stab at uh, as well. Yeah. So these are just a few these are just a few thoughts. Allison, what did I miss? <laughs> well, I think I mean first again, um, without taking too theoretical, but I think you know science, you know, it's imperfect, but uh, that also means that it can't be captured by another entity that could make it less bad in the sense that, you know, hmm. we, we are making progress in an imperfect way. Uh, and oftentimes one could say, oh, if only I was a science god and I could wave my magic wand and I could make it all go perfectly and we would have perfect application markets and so forth for all these things. Hmm. Um, then I think, yes, on the one hand, that would be great. But on the other hand, also, if that science god was malevolent, uh, things would uh, things would turn really bleak. And, and I think you've, mm. you've seen through Nazi times and so forth that that really can go really, really wrong. And mm. so I think that one nice thing about science is that it is ultimately super decentralized and it has this really kind of uh, like really robust way of making progress uh, over time, even if it's imperfect at times. And I think one really exciting thing about DSI is now that we are doing so many experiments. I mean, it's, it's kind mm. of mind bending. I remember... Um, we had Vida Dao present to our intelligent, like our computing group, maybe almost now two years ago, like over one oh, half wow. years. And a lot of people That's from like our intelligent cooperation group moved over to our longevity group and the other way around. And, and they kind of like got, got to work and now there's like, there was so much crosstalk. 
And then um, we had another, like our member gathering, like in the last year, we had like a little bit of a decide panel, but it was like super nascent. It was very bizarre, like not really a thing yet that one could really talk about. And then um, a few people, uh, I think uh, Shadi and Aldamati and, uh, and, uh, and Eugene, and they met in our Discord and were like, hey, we're all going to uh, ETH Denver, you know, like, uh, and you do something with DSI, I'm doing something with DSI, let's ban our tracks together. And so we like banned the tracks together and just had like a common like um, header over them. And suddenly like, you know, there was a thing. And then like suddenly you saw this insane explosion of projects that we were not aware of at all. Uh, and I think that is ultimately the most exciting part of the space is that we can now experiment and we can do so much cheaper than before because we don't have to build an entire new physical university or a new way of doing it and we have to fail super expensively, but we can just figure out a bunch of things. I think that, you know, I always mm. think it will be super interesting to come back to this in a year from now, you know, mm. and almost make a few predictions or something and then come back and actually figure out what worked and what didn't. And I think, you know, there's this really wonderful website, dsi.community, where like a uh, products are literally listed in you know like a spreadsheet format and i think you can really just track and almost do like a meta science layer about like the things that work well and, and, and don't but things from you know ip nfts to replication markets to like different types of DAO funding structures i think they're all really wonderful but i think the most on a meta level again the thing that's exciting most about them is that we will learn in a very cheap way what works and what doesn't work which mm -hmm. wasn't possible before and that's i think um yeah that, that that's super inspiring no matter of like you know who individually wins but that's i think something that really really excites me on a meta layer Alison, you mentioned the website i actually one of the my early entry points into the space was um uh, jocelyn your uh your google doc uh, the, I think it was like super helpful and I, I shared it with a bunch of people early on um, um, I don't know I discovered it like late like m m I guess mid last year but I also saw like uh, in Paris uh, the, the, the Taoist event Vita Tao which actually quite, it shocks me Alison that like you're saying it's they've been around for closer to two years I actually didn't realize that they've been around for so long so long so to dig in a little bit more on on foresight and the role of nonprofit institutions in this space, how do you view your role as a leader of one of these institutions with, with the evolving DSI movement? Because you, Allison and Ella, you both, you know, put on events at some of these major conferences that have happened in the last six mm. months or so, ETH Denver, you mentioned, ETH Amsterdam. Um, and this is where a lot of these conversations have been evolving. So I'm just curious, mm. you know, how you both think about your, your supporting roles um, as far as these, all of these emerging organizations that span things like DAOs. Do you want to go first, Alison? I can go first. Okay. So I mean, the, um, so I actually got into the space reluctantly. I was, um, like aware of crypto for a while. It was in the same, uh, and then the, yeah, the, the broader sort of crypto uh, space, uh, um, since 2012, we were in the same batch. Of, I mean, in the same batch of uh, companies as Coinbase. But I think like Brian sent everyone a Bitcoin <laughs> for like eleven dollars, like as a, a um, at that time. And I think one of the motivations for me uh, to get to get back, you know, I essentially I came back from my maternity leave uh, with with a with a tiny baby, went to Paris uh, for um, uh, for uh, CC last year, and I and I re and I realized, oh my God, this reminds me of the energy in like the open source software uh, space, you know, over, over almost ten years ago, and I think for me, I, I had two conclusions. One is 
this space moves incredibly fast and you should never discount speed. And many of the smartest people are moving into the space for all sorts of incentives, like good and bad. And, 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 and I, and I, and I felt, and obviously started slowly getting into DSEI and refi. And, but I, um, but I remember the early conversations of, 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 of with, with some really smart people. And I think there was this cynicism of like, oh, this space, you know, this space is, um, you know, I'm Web3 is broken and, you know, there's, there's a list of reasons of, you know, of the, the weird mechanics that are there and the, 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 product, the profit seeking motivation and the speculation, the short termism, all that stuff. And yet the smartest people started moving into the space. And I felt, I felt it's always, it's almost like an imperative to try to participate in this conversation so that the, the, that more people find their, who are mission driven and and who who are impact driven um for those people to find pockets of this space and grow those pockets to be able to actually uh contribute their talents and their energy to solving big problems in the world so it, for me this really started like that and so this is this is the reason we started hosting events and i think th since that i think from this like um um, um, uh, reluctant skeptic. I, I'm not sure if true believer, you know, I, I think that like Alison, I, I, I fully agree. I think what is most exciting is the, 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 the amount of experimentation and there's, you know, the, there's like in all sorts of, you know, the new corporation, um, uh, theories and new sorts of economics theories and game theory sort of, um, and, uh, uh, that, that are actually being tested, um, right now in, in, in some, of those sub pockets of, of web three that are more mission driven like that is really that is really exciting uh, to me and and i'm sort of humbly observing what other people are doing and and slowly trying to figure out like what what broader role i should be playing in that space but but it's i i love i i love that more mission driven people are joining the space and i love the amount of experimentation as well and 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 we're, i'm he i'm here to contribute to that conversation however i can Um, yeah, I think that's it's a big question, and and I think one thing that's exciting in this space is that people have so many roles. <laughs> On the one hand, you know, I think that you know, as a running a nonprofit, I think like the community organizing role is also like a pretty natural fit in the sense that people come for ideas mm -hmm. and they you know they do switch from diff across different technology buckets. Um, and I think that there's still a lot of organizational work we need to do because the, the space is really big and it's difficult to keep track. And you're obviously doing a fantastic job at that, uh, Justine. Mm -hmm. But um, but I think that that's one. And then like on a personal level, we're always like, well, we were always kind of like a little like pretty niche and and on the cutting edge. We had like prediction markets back, I think, at our first one of our first member gatherings in 1999, where people voted with checks to our offices. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. Kind of illegal gambling in hindsight, but it happened. Um, and, 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 you know, like, so I, I was like, okay, how can we actually, uh, like, be an active member and, and, and an active contributor, mm. contributor to this movement? And so over time, we, like, we started with NFTs, uh, I think now uh, a year ago or something, where basically we hooked up our scientists with artists that created an, uh, an, mm. an artwork based on the science. And the idea here was that we could decentralize funding in the sense that if someone got inspired, A, it would be educational because people are, it's really difficult to just see why a piece of science is exciting if you're not really like a scientist, uh, but the communication angle is difficult. And so by mm. buying like a really wonderful, uh, like uh, an art piece about science, you could actually become a funder, a direct funder of the scientist. And so that was like a way of decentralizing the funding mechanism. 
And then over time, we got more experimental. Uh, like at the end of last year, we started a tech tree project, which is basically mapping the entire space um, of the areas that we operate in. So we have one tech tree in molecular machines, one in longevity and biotech, one in neurotechnology, one in space technologies, um, and one even mm -hmm. in decentralized computing. Um, and so trying to map the space, but crucially always asking like domain leaders in these fields, what are number one challenges that are currently underfunded? And then mm -hmm. we put bounties on them. So we put small Gitcoin bounties on them, then larger prizes. We're collaborating now on a prize with LeaderDAO in longevity. And then over time, we want to build like a more sustainable funding mechanism that can sit at the end of that, that can actually pick up in a more for-profit for inspired way, really great project proposals that get proposed to this. So like it's this tech tree nature that is like ultimately decentralized. It's not really a roadmap where you have like one hypothesis, but it's more like, you know, yeah, you map a space bottom up and then with individual bounties that uh, local knowledge folks um, and tell you basically how to make progress on that. And so those were like, you know, uh, projects that we started over time. Now we're combining them in the sense that once you have NFTs, they can become impact certificates. And so if people fund a bounty on a tech tree early on and are like, hey, I want to put my money, I want to support that mm. research, they can just uh, get generate an NFT that they can later on sell and be like, hey, I can signal I was pretty early on. Um, here is why I believe in this stuff. And so over a long time, it's almost, I guess, a little bit like a prediction market works that you can figure out over a long time who was right uh, and who had really good um, first bets and you can reward that retroactively. So I think mm -hmm. we're like really actively dabbling a lot in this space. And then I think like another layer that you mentioned also at the beginning, Ella, that I think is actually really interesting about 50 years too, because it's very unique. Um, and it's usually something that you only know from a nonprofit, or at least I only mostly know from a nonprofit sector, mm. is this aspect of making the future go well, right? It's mm. not just like technology for technology's sake, uh, yeah. but it's really this idea of differential technology development, which is a term that uh, was coined by Nick Beckstead. But it's about the fact that maybe we can't slow technologies down in any like mm. you know significant way, but we can speed up those that make positive futures more likely. Yeah. And there's actually a lot to do. There's a lot of technologies that you could really advance that make the future safer and better. And so you know we basically went out with that, that always being like a really crucial aspect of our work. And so we recently like wrote a book on gaming the future technologies for intelligent volunteer cooperation, where basically we take the crypto space at a meta layer and just see, okay, given that we want a decentralized approaches to science, we also need to come up with decentralized approaches for avoiding the risks, because if we don't, mm -hmm. then we're doing it wrong. Uh, and so we're trying yeah. to like really grab into the crypto stack and think about all of the different technologies that can be applied for better futures and how crypto technologies can make them go well. And so I think that uh, we, like yesterday, I had uh, a meeting in this book lab. It's a Substack book that works for Bitcoin bounties so people can contribute and actually contribute their best ideas and technologies that we may not catch. And we mm -hmm. had like Juan Vene joining, who talked, uh, I think, a little bit about Paradotopia also at ETH Amsterdam. And he yeah. joined yesterday and he like just spun out a few really wonderful technologies. And like there is a great crypto stack. And so yeah. I think also really making sure that we, you know, for the risks. Um, and, and do so actively and do so I think also quite loudly that people you know really mm. kind of internalize that that's part of the mission I think is something that I, I know that you guys are super passionate about Ella and I think it's super inspiring that you're just yeah. like no we're gonna do this thing now yeah we're VC yeah, but we're yeah. doing it this way yeah yeah I know I, I, I maybe I should be also more specific about like what what types of so 50 years backs early stage precedency companies uh 
mostly uh, that are uh, solving uh, big problem, big big global problems with, with, with technology. And we we back a lot of uh, deep tech companies in the sort of climate tech space, in synthetic biology, in sort of commercialization of of of, of science and 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 and. Um, so we spend a lot of time thinking about you know what what would make it even easier and to for for scientists to spin out their research and what what would make it easier for um for certain technologies to see the light of day and obviously you know one one can take a cynical perspective of you know not everything has to be sort of put into the 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 engine of capitalism but it happens to be an amazing tool for scale and and scale is what we need with many of those global problems so um there's 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 a few internal projects that we have um uh, at 50 years that are focused on helping scientists uh, understand how they can be commercializing the research. We have this community of, of top scientists called 5050. We have this program called PhD to VC. Um, we're working on the spin-out guide. Uh, we have a podcast called Translation that talks about, you know, uh, 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 scientific, uh, uh, talks about um, uh, a no novel research and its uh, spin-out uh, uh, and its co commercialization potential and, and essentially how to do it. Um, so we're trying to add um, to this to, to to this global pot of knowledge and and then the next question is uh, you know the, 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 which sort of links to the, the the two things we're working on which are quite quite early still um and maybe I shouldn't talk too much about them but but one is like is there a, is there a way to create a standard that makes it much easier to spin out you know so in in the way that you know Y Combinator created the standard for um, getting, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on your bank account, essentially overnight, which is a safe. It's a standard, like it's not a very advanced technology, but it's a, it's an eight page piece of paper that essentially created um, a protocol how, with how people engage in this conversation about funding. And it has everything that is needed. It, there's trust embedded in it. The, a reputable institution created it. It had some of the, it had some haircuts early on. But essentially that standard made it so much easier for people to essentially talk to investors, do the handshake protocol, and then, you know, send it via DocuSign, Doc, DocuSign and then the next day have money in their bank account. Is there a similar technology, you know, a standard that we could develop for, uh, for commercialization of science? And I think we have some thoughts about it. We, you know, we're, we've backed Molecule, uh, um, uh, that I think is 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 also doing extremely interesting work in this space of creating standards which you know speed things up. And I think speed is um, uh, needed. And and speed also makes uh, usually and and speed transparency and 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 standards usually make it also easier to attract uh, funding. So I think part of our work on the sort of meta. You know, how, how do we actually not just back, you know, a few more companies, but how do we, how do we create something that is um, really valuable for the entire ecosystem? Like that, 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 there's, there's some ongoing work there, which, which hopefully we, 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 you know, we can be conclusive and we can, we can start sharing about it soon. So there's, there's this, and you, Alison, you mentioned impact certificates. It's, it's, um. This makes me so happy because when when we started 50 years we 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 used to run this event series called impact tech and we thought a lot about 
um, you know, quantifying impact and measuring impact. And like, how do we even know that we're backing the types of companies that are going to have, you know, a massively positive impact on the future, especially when we back them so early and there's not that many, you know, kind of KPIs you can, you can link it back to. It's, it's really in like belief that a certain technology can, you know, really help decarbonize or really can help sequester a lot of sequester a lot of car carbon or really can help accelerate science in, in some meaningful way. Um, plus the intentions of the founders, right? But this whole idea of impact certificates where maybe, I still think it's really early, but like maybe we can use, you know, game theory and like different cooperation, different coordination theories and, 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 and a lot of the sort of new economics theory that's 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 like that's linked with uh, with web three to to create even more rational financial markets on top of impact. And again, it's not about and I think it matters because it could create more incentives to for more good stuff to happen. And, and, and right now, because right now we see a lot of financial incentives and stuff that's that's, you know, negative uh, um, um, and creates a lot of negative externalities. So yeah, it's we, we obviously we think about it a lot. I, I'm a big fan of what Protocol Labs um, has been doing and Funny the Commons conference. And yeah, we I hope to be able to collaborate with them on something as well. I, I want to highlight two things you said. Ella. <laughs> One, this idea that your organization is compelled and interested in contributing to a global pot of knowledge and putting out these resources. Uh, I, I see more and more organizations doing that. And I, I, I think it, it is contributing to this, you know, democratization or decentralization of information that could allow for the next wave of founders or, you know, like science or technology to be broken out of universities, for instance. Mm -hmm. The other thing you mentioned is providing a template or a protocol, which is something that we've, I've talked about with other leaders on this podcast, um, Phage Directory, they operate via a global network of scientists and they put out alerts saying, you know, do you have a phage that will allow this person to recover from an antibiotic resistant infection? Mm. And they have essentially a, a template or a protocol that allows that information to be passed on, you know, the delivery of a phage potentially to, to cure a patient. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested in mean. how we can develop more of these almost, you know, simple templates or protocols that mm. we as domain experts might have internally, but be able to communicate them and put them together via technology, like on a website, um, mm. or in a, in, in the form of something that somebody can easily click into and download and utilize to make that next discovery or make that next connection. Um, so I'm really excited about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I know this is more or less, I guess, LabDAO, part of their, their, their mission is to like enable that, like that level of granularity in creating this like global, I, I hope I'm not butchering their work. So apologies if I'm misunderstanding something about what you're doing. But to my understanding, that's they're trying to democratize, um, um, create this market, like a very efficient marketplace with 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 where, where that level of information, what that level, those level of capabilities can be shared between actors in the system uh, who who need them, and essentially creating a really cool um, um, marketplace. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I love that vision. I think it's 
like we've learned so much. I mean, what, what makes me hopeful here? Like we, we, we learned so much from like, you know, the Airbnbs of the world and, and, and the Reddits of the world of, you know, of like how do marketplaces work? Like what makes them tick? Like, and like, how does knowledge marketplaces work? And, you know, we like learned so much from Wikipedia. And I think there's like, if you think of 20 years ago, like we didn't even have those early experiments in, in, you know, efficient marketplaces or like knowledge marketplaces, or even in like community um, mediated content. And I think like it has like with the right set of incentives and with the right set of like, with the right mindset and with people actually caring about you know controlling for for positive externalities and trying to limit negative externalities I really believe it has to result in something um like powerfully positive especially when you have some way of like financially incentivizing the the the, the, the contributors um which I do think matters because I you know at the end of the day people have to pay 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 their bills so I think you know th there's only as much goodwill as you, you in terms of like time spent you, you you can expect if you don't if you don't incentivize people financially naturally to, to some degree so yeah I'm very excited about it I I, I am I, I I'm, I'm here to help support you know financially uh people who are working on on projects like that and and I'm, I'm and to the extent that my, my my knowledge can also be useful in my network I'm you know we're here to help yeah so on that note um I think you both have mentioned that many people are coming into this space right now that there's been this influx of ideas and outflux of new orgs and projects that are springing mm -hmm. up. Um, but that also comes with different incentives and different motivations from all of these different people. Can maybe Allison, can you start with just any observations you have as far as what you think will be gating to the decentralized science movement or Web3 in general? Um, or some some kind of caveats or negatives to the space that you're observing right now? Well, that's a difficult, very hard question, I think, to, uh, to tackle. Well, it is still really early stage. Um, at the moment, I'm more almost flabbergasted by just, you know, the mm -hmm. like just insane talent and care that uh, goes into these spaces. Like, you know, we, the, the few conferences that we had now, I'm always like afterwards really gushing because people care so much and they're so helpful and they really like, you know, in a very bottom up way, really grow an entire field, right? Everyone has their own project, but then the the, the way that people come together um, is I think super inspiring. I think Ella already pointed out a few fantastic projects and there's like so many others too. So I think uh, in in general, you know, if, 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 if you've always been alienated by Web3, now is a really good time to go look at it. <laughs> Yeah, now's a good time yeah. now's a good time to 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 just familiarize yourself a little bit with it again I think mm. you won't it's difficult to be disappointed right now um and you know at the same time I think you know things that are at least like challenges that are often pointed out in the space is that you know coming to crypto conferences when you're not um, crypto native it can be really difficult because it's really difficult to get onboarded. Like, you know, if you don't have a MetaMask wallet, if you're not, you know, like super Web3 native, and there's so many different, like just walk me like, mm -hmm. and so forth, like all of these different abbreviations are like really hard if you're not in the space. So I think like a challenge at least will be to really grow a community that can onboard scientists as well, because I think ultimately if we're building for them, we need them. <laughs> uh, and, and I think currently, you know, they don't really have great options in like the like 
legacy institutions. But if we want them to be able to really tap into this, we need to make it A, easy for them, but then also B, kind of safe so that, you know, rather than just saying like, look, we will take you as an experiment over here. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, you may have lost your reputation with a like normal legacy institution. We have to kind of like, you know, really signal and, and, and then also follow up with making it really sustainable and for them to tap in. So I think onboarding scientists from like the, developing the tooling, developing the right like language, the right communication, but then also really long-term incentive mechanisms that actually support them once they do tip over into the space and get their feet wet is I think like a really big, uh, you know, really big challenge. I think that there's like so many different layers that you like, you know, from one thing that, you know, we're trying to do with the tech users is really just making people aware of the space of a technology so that they can easy see you know like because usually what mm. i always get is like outside talent and like funders find it sometimes really diff difficult to help but i get all these emails of like hey you know can i you know help us feel along i'm like you know one thing could just be like you know having like a good actually onboarding page where people like you know can mm. easily fund bids that are still in the ecosystem but then you can do so much more complex things right and for that i think you really need to grow over time um and and so i think that there's like many individual projects that are super exciting. And at the same time, I think making sure that we don't lose touch on who, who we're building for uh, mm. and, and that we actually support these people um, is I think like a really, uh, like the, the number one challenge that I think uh, I would like to, uh, like I would like us as a community to focus because everyone I think will, will really benefit from that. Uh, and not lastly, the scientists who we're doing this for. So that's, I think my, yeah, my one thing. I think I would agree with Alison that one of the the main barriers to entry it's the it's it's a high, it's a high barrier you know there's like there's many barriers to entry there the first one is the you know maybe the the cynicism around that space and like and then a lot of the baggage that comes with Web three right so like that that's like you have to like hear about a great project or like or hear from somebody you really whose opinion you really trust to get past the cynicism to like want to invest into that space you know maybe some people are you know joining that space for other reasons as well but um, there's that. And then there's the barrier to entry in just, you know, learning about the, um, the primitives of Web3, right? Because like it, the, the moment you get into that space, the, you know, there, there's a vocabulary that, you know, I actually, I don't think it's like all that hard, but you need to, you know, you need to have a week and maybe do the Gitcoin's kernel um, um, uh, course, or uh, I mean, I think it takes more than a week, but like there, there, there are ways of learning about the, this space. And then like having this, like some level of confidence of like, okay, I have arrived. Like I understand the basic, I understand the basics here. Like I can, like, I can now see how this could be applied to my work. So I think there's like that, that's, that's not, that's not to be taken for granted. I think a lot of people like need to be on board, you know, on board <laughs> into that space and, and, and that, that, you know, and, 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 and so I think that's, um, education is a big component there. Um, yeah, again, I'm sure like your guide to DSI is, has, has been very helpful for people who like passed that in, initial barrier and then they said, okay, but like, tell me about the projects in the space. Sometimes it's, it's like, you can understand intellectually what the project is and like that there is a discord, but it's hard to gather like all information of like, what's the, what's the state of things? Usually things, usually projects are relatively early. The leadership is diffused and often by design, but it also like the way humans choose projects to work on, they often follow humans, which, and there's a lot of like legitimacy that comes from, uh, you know, oh, these are good people, you know, the core team there, you know, has, you know, has great experience doing some other things, they're probably going to do a good job here as well. So I think there's also this, the 
this level of, you know, sometimes that information is not, you know, and, and sometimes almost by design, not as re re readily available. Um, I mean, obviously people joining, I mean, I, I would assume some people joining the DSI space, like they are already working on something else. Maybe they actually are, you know, they're, they're doing their research. Maybe they're finishing their PhD. Maybe they have something else going on. They're excited about this space, but like, but, but with how, how high the barrier to entry can be and given other also, and, and, and given other responsibilities, it just might be a lot. So I think like, if we can, like, I think with having that in mind like having an even easier barrier to entry like that would definitely be helpful you know within that space there's so many great projects i think it's easy to also just get spread too thin there's this ethos of distributed work you know in DAOs and fractional labor which i actually think is extremely exciting but we're in such early stages of that that it's it's definitely not it's like definitely in, not ready for prime time Right now, that fractional like work is actually very hard to. Um, it's very hard. The cognitive load of context switching and the cognitive load of like all the information that like will not be relevant to your experience in like let's say one DAO or one organization or you know one protocol. It 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 ends up, I think, slowing down a lot of the efforts that so some so I think and 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 because of that some projects take a little longer uh to get off the ground but uh yeah I, you know I mean this just kind of comes with all the great things about this space and but I think it's it, it's just early so just thinking of like the things that, that are slowing things down um yeah that's can you Ella can you comment on the parallels to the open source software community to mm. what you just described yeah, I mean it's very it's very similar when you think about you know the 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 fact that um, uh, there is there is you know there's 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 teams there's the developers for maintaining the most people are kind of just I don't want to diminish that but like they're just using the the open source software that's being developed and. Uh, while you know there's a much smaller set of people who are actually contributing to the software who are making sure like the, the software is maintained and that it is the public good um, that other people are taking for granted so you know I actually think in the, the this this you know this is much more solved than it than it was even 10 years ago in open source software there was this project called open collective um that was trying to uh, and is still uh, helping fund uh, open source software i think in web3 it's actually a little easier because of the financial um um the the finan the, the 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 financial rewards that are much easier to um um uh, to distribute um yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's very, it's very similar in terms of, you know, there's a collaborative effort, the, it, and this, and the system is figuring out how to reward its participants, and the system is figuring out how to, um, how to optimize uh, for, you know, this ecosystem growth and what incentive needs to happen. I mean, the whole grant making progress, when you think about it, they, they, they are very much like, which, which I think are in exciting innovation in, in the sort of Web3 open source and, and hopefully DSI and OpenSci is open source that are, they, they, they essentially like, that's a new thing, like the ecosystem grants and, and, you know, and then, you know, there's so many, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, and we mentioned protocol apps and we, there's, there's many other organizations and, you know, foundations of all protocols that are giving grants and contributing back to this open source community. I think that, 
not to just make it about money, but I think the financial flows of in, in, the, in these ecosystems are much more conducive to sustained growth, at least for now. The, the question is what happens when there's a slowdown in Web3 and like how does this impact the DSI movement and the ability to fund some of that work um, as well. And I think this is, this is, this, we'll just have to see. Well said. I want to be cognizant of both of your time. Um, so as we wrap up, Allison, maybe could you provide any additional uh, information on Foresight Institute or where people can find you, any active projects people should check out? Um, we'll make sure to link everything below. Um, I'm thinking like the NFT project you mentioned. Um, I want to make sure people can yeah. access more information if they're interested. Well, it depends a little bit like who you are. I think uh, if you're a scientist and technologies work in the areas that I mentioned, we have global meetups, we have our technical groups that meet for virtual like weekly seminars and annual workshops in these areas. So we have a longevity workshop coming up in May. Then Ella is kind enough to host us for a cryptography workshop in October. Uh, and we have a machines workshop in July. And so that uh, if you're a scientist, that could be interesting. If you're interested in the risks of technologies, then it's the gaming the future book club if you're really mm. trying to get into how how do we build for safe futures with crypto technologies and then if you're a funder there's always prizes to fund grants to give and there's like potentially like a, a more of a for-profit funding vehicle as well that one can chime in for but i think all of these are like very individual uh, bits so it's the website maybe just to get it down uh, like a lay of the land and then it's me on twitter uh, and feel free to contact me. Um, my uh, messages are still open. <laughs> but yeah, thank you, Jocelyn. <laughs> Thanks for the fantastic work you do. I really love this podcast. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. And Ella, any uh, places people can find you, particular shout outs or um, where people can access? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Yet. I'm on Twitter uh, under elamade.com. Not, not .com, elamade. Um, we are... Um, we run different events uh, uh, around different areas of deep tech pretty much monthly. Uh, so it's not just not just what three and D side, but we will be hosting another event, and I'm sure uh, Foresight Institute will be there as well in Paris uh, during the ETCC. Um, so we're hosting this event called Technologies for Humanity, and it's 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 a, it's, it's essentially a gathering of people um, uh, who are working on on using Web three for um, and in, in ways that can benefit the humanity. It will be a mix of, of, of people from DSTI and then the refi space and 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 the you know, the ideas of like decentralized identity and UBI and, and, and some 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 issues of security and web three and we run we just hosted one of these in Amsterdam and I think the biggest piece of feedback was it was amazing and then it for people it wasn't clear how to how to apply and it seemed a little bit more like much too curated for, 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 for this community. And I think we'll probably find some way of like, um, um, of, we'll have an application form that I'll tweet about and 50 years we'll tweet about and probably have it on our website just so we can get more people, not just for kind of referrals and emails, but, but also from the community. Um, yeah, looking to back early stage pre-seed uh, and seed projects and companies in the space and 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 help in any ways we can and um, um, and 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 also connect you know a bunch of projects in the space if, if if they want to get connected to mentors or other funders uh, for our nonprofit we have an amazing community of of um, right now forty five billion dollar tech company fund uh, fund. Uh, founders who backed us and they are very altruistic and they're willing to also 
put their money where their hearts is by Allison. <laughs> yeah. So if we can uh, also help in, in that way. And um, yeah. Amazing. Um, really excited to, to share all of this with, with everyone. And uh, I'll make sure to link everybody's Twitters and, and websites for, for the show and um, really appreciate your time today. Sure. Thank you for doing this, Jocelyn. I mean, it's amazing. And I'm sure like you're, you're such a, you're a great, I, I hope you take it the right way. You're a great public good in this space that you're <laughs> like, you're, you're like really, I mean, I think it's, it's, there's a few core people that are contributing to growth in this space. I see you as one. So thank you so oh, much. I for, appreciate for your work. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I really care about sharing these conversations because I think there's so much that can happen as a result of people being able to access just mm. the early conversations that are happening in this space. That was something when I first started digging into it, I was like, oh my God, we need to, like every call I was having with people, I wanted to be recording it and putting it on mm. YouTube, you know, just so more people can access it and yeah. understand yeah. like the idea formation that was happening right it's just it's such an exciting time I think yeah 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 um, it is and I think I remember joining one of the calls when you um with boom uh right with Sissy from boom when you mm -hmm. uh, actually like run a tour of a DAO just yeah, to see the like, how, how does, which was which was amazing I mean it was so helpful I mean I'm part of um you know actively part of one DAO and and sort of less uh, actively part of some other DAOs but like it's just, it's just such an, it's, it, you kind of take it for granted that like people have just, people have no idea, like, and the, the, yeah. the information uh, gap. Um, and I think people just feel it's, it's large and people feel insecure about like, oh no, there's like too much in this space. And it's not that much, but the barrier to entry is real. It's, you just have mm -hmm. to kind of be able to step through it. And, and you are definitely helping people and building bridges. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to let you run. Um, this is great. <laughs> and, and I hope we can do it again in a year's time and there'll be even more new things to talk about. So thank yeah, you so yeah. much. Well, yes. Thank you. Thanks so much. Awesome. Have a good day. You too. That wraps up this episode of Ultra Rare, the podcast. Thanks again to Allison and Ella for taking the time to talk with us about DSI. I've got some great guests coming on the show in the next couple of weeks, so make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening.